All right, let's start wandering to seats if we may. <laughs> yep. All right, well, good morning to some Mountain Baptist Church. Uh, thanks, everyone, for being here. Uh, glad to see everyone. Uh, let's open a quick word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for um, your word. We thank you for your sacrifice and your redemption of us. We pray that we would fulfill all our purposes today as a church and bring glory to you. Um, pray that everyone would uh, listen and you would uh, encourage us for the week to come. I pray in the name of Jesus. All right, please stand um, and let's sing together, His Mercy is More. Um, our theme in music today is going to be uh, Christ's death and redemption of us. So praise God for that. Let's sing. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. <clears throat> what patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. sins they are many his mercy is more what riches of kindness he lavished on us his blood was a payment his life was the cost we stood neath the debt we could never afford our sins they are many Jasper, please come up. Please sit down. Good morning, everyone. Just, just a quick announcement. This afternoon, 4.30 p.m., please come back for our gathering for question and answers. And also, church picnic this coming October 23rd 
and to all women, Women Ministry is having its first meeting October 21st, 6 p.m., to be led by uh, Debbie Bissett and Ari Gonzalez. And to all quilters, no quilting this Tuesday. And to those who are watching online, we, once again, we have two additional rooms for smaller setting. We have 108 and 109. To our guests, we encourage you to fill out our guest registration card and welcome to Tusa Mountain Baptist Church. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you and adore you for giving us this brand new day. Another day, Lord, for us to enjoy life with our family, loved ones, and friends. Another day to make things right and to follow your will. And another day, Lord, to experience your power, your love, and faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you will bless our fellowship together. And may our presence will help one another to draw near to you as brother and sister in Christ. And above all, will bring honor and glory to your name, Christ's precious name. Amen. As this is Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, on behalf of the uh, Appreciation Ministry team and your church family, we uh, thank you for all the oh, service you. that you do for our church. Jasper, thank you. And while I'm up here, uh, we're going to do Silver Dove's presentation as well okay. with Ruth Heavenly as our leader. Okay. So thank you very much okay. for all you do. Whoops, wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, Thanks, Don. Uh, a lot of the passages in the scripture talk about the honor that's due to elders, so we appreciate the great work that our pastors and leaders do in the church. And uh, our, our class of presentation is going to be next week, so you're going to get it two weeks in a row. <laughs> All right, let's continue singing with At Calvary as we remember the Lord's sacrifice for us. Bye. 
continue our singing with wonderful, merciful Savior, isn't he? Every time. 
anybody who has ever lost a loved one And you feel like you had to let go too soon I know it hurts to say goodbye But don't you know it's just a matter of time Till the tears are gone and you'll see him once again In that moment every knee shall bow God is love, and love has come for us all. Every heart set free, everyone will see. That God is love, and love has come for us all. Oh, and on that day, we will stand amazed at our Savior I'm getting a pile of stuff up here now. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Listen, it's an honor just to serve, all right? And I thank you guys for allowing me to serve. I appreciate Pastor Appreciation Month or week or day or however you want to phrase it, but I've always been uncomfortable with some of that, to be very truthful with you. Um, Today we're going to talk about Revelation 3, 7 through 13, and what Jesus says to a weak church, a weak church. Have you noticed that as we've looked at all these different churches, that <clears throat> all these different issues, all these variations they have between them, how 
relatable they are to our churches today. There's a lot of these things that are going on today. So I have a have thought for you. <coughs> I apologize. My voice is really messed up. I was fine until I walked outside this morning and it went all the way. Think about it. If there are more non-Christians than Christians in our community, which we know there is, and if their secular culture is growing stronger each and every day, which it appears to be, how is it that Christians can continue on in the world today? How do we do that? What is it? What does it take? Don't you sometimes feel weak when, you com when compared to the rest of the world, the secular world that we live in? I mean, we stay strong by coming into places like this and getting encouraged and going to Bible studies and reading God's Word and applying it to our lives. But don't you ever sometimes just feel sort of worn out and weak from fighting the battle? I do sometimes. In increasing ways... We are becoming a minority, and we know that, we understand that. We don't like to think about it, but it's true. And these Christians at Philadelphia were becoming more powerless by the day. That's the struggle they were dealing with. So as we look at this today, I want you to think about this. We're going to do a little background on the city of Philadelphia. Do you realize Philadelphia came into existence, the city of Philadelphia, 150 years before Jesus was even on the scene? It was so named because one of the early prominent leaders, one of the founding fathers, if you were, was so enarmored and so careful to make sure he loved his physical brother that he got the nickname Brother Lover. Well, the Greeks took that and combined that and made it into the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. So what took place in the midst of all that as this, you know, there was absolute loyalty from one brother to the other. Well, the Greeks decided that this would be a great city to try and experiment. And they wanted to turn the whole world into a Greek-thinking world. But they started in Philadelphia. Now think about this. Alexander the Great had this vision to turn everything into Greek methodology, theology, mindset. The Christians in that area right at that point in time were a very marked minority. It was pretty apparent. They weren't just being battered outside the church, though, by the Greeks and by those outside the church. There was a group inside the church that were also verbally beating them up and telling them some things that weren't true. And Jesus is going to come along and say, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to straighten some of this out. We're going to discuss some of this. They were being ridiculed and treated with open hostility by this group of individuals. They said, because they were so stuck in their Jewish traditions and Jewish ceremony, they said that, you know what? We are the only ones that are truly loved by God. You guys, you guys, this group of Christians, you're not loved by God. So they were really hurting the spiritual growth and the spiritual mindset of the Christians that were within that church. They were a higher-than-thou attitude type of Christian. So if we look at this, there was something else that was taking place. 
This area was prone to devastating earthquakes during that time. And in 17 AD, the whole town was completely wiped out pretty much. And it was eventually rebuilt. But every little tremor, every little ground shake sent the people fleeing out of the buildings out to the countryside because they didn't want in the buildings because the buildings were going to fall down on top of them. Those pillars inside the buildings wouldn't hold them up when they were in those terrible earthquakes. So Jesus comes along and he says this, and this all ties together if you really look at the big picture. In verse 7, Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. Now we have to remember, every single one of these letters that we've looked at so far, it's Jesus telling John what to write to the church. It's not John speaking, it's Jesus speaking. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shut, no one can open. Jesus says to this church, you know, I know you're feeling disempowered. I know you're feeling disenfranchised, but you know what? I am opening a door for you that nobody can shut. Now think about this. He starts out and he says, I am holy. Holy. That word means incorruptible and flawless. And then he uses a second word here. He says, he says I'm true. That means he's genuine. He's saying to this group body of believers, he said, I am the real deal. I am the Messiah. He's bringing it right before them. It's important that we understand this because he's getting ready to make some major claims and promises to these people. So as he goes in and he says this, it, we have to remember, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to believers who have hung their hope of heaven and their eternal salvation on him. So he's not talking to unbelievers. I often wonder, why is he working so hard to renew or establish his credentials right here? So it brought me to some insights. So I want you to think about this. Insight number one is Jesus brings consolation. Jesus brings consolation. Listen, I think there's times in every single one of our lives as believers that because we have hills and valleys in our faith, I think sometimes that we need a fresh dose of trust and comfort from Jesus. Because things, things, we come up against things that wear us down and make us tired. We have times when we have real high seasons in our faith. We're way up here on the mountaintop. And then something traumatic or dramatic happens, and we go back down into that valley. And it sort of crushes our spirit to a point. And I think that's the time Jesus comes in and says, you know what? I'm right here. I'm true. I'm holy. Lean on me. The Philadelphians were very weak at this certain time. You have to remember that. The church was present, but it seemed to be overwhelmed and really struggling to stay alive. But Jesus says, you know what? You are alive. He comes in and he offers the consolation. He says, I'm here. I'm right here with you. I'm true, and I'm holy, and I'm here. Jesus offers another consolation here. He says, not only am I still trustworthy and true and holy, 
and the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 8. I know your deeds. I see a place before you, an open door that no one can shut. You need to underline that. No one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Listen, insight number two says he has total knowledge. Now, we've heard this before at every single one of these churches we've looked at, that I know your deeds. I know where you live. I know what's going on in your life. I know your struggles. I've told you before, he knows more about us than we know about ourselves. Can you imagine? Now, I stole this from, I mean, I borrowed this from somebody else. <laughs> so I have to read it because I couldn't remember it all. Can you imagine what the world would be like if we had to call Jesus on the phone? Here we go. I can just hear Jesus' voice now. Thank you for calling my father's house. Please select one of the following options. <laughs> Press 1 for general request. Press 2 for thanksgiving. Press 3 for rain. Press 4 for healing. Press 5 for help with the IRS. <laughs> Press 6 for any complaints. Press 7 to say hello. Press 8 for answers to life's really hard questions. And press 9 for all other inquiries. Press 0 to hear this minion again. <laughs> but what if we got this familiar excuse that we often hear when we call somebody? I'm sorry, all our angels are helping other believers right now. <laughs> Please stay on the line. Your call is important to us. And it will be answered in the order it's received. If you'd like to hear King David sing a psalm while you're holding, <laughs> press 5-5. Five, five. In order to confirm a loved one is in heaven, press 7-7. Seven, seven. <laughs> to confirm reservations in one of the many mansions, press the letters J-O-H-N and then 316. <laughs> For Lucifer, press 666 and your call will be transferred below. <laughs> or this one, last one. I'm sorry the office is closed on Sunday. That's our day of rest. Please call again Monday after 8 a.m. Standard Time. <laughs> Listen, thankfully, we don't have to do that. When we pray to Jesus, when we pray to God, he hears our prayers instantaneously. <coughs> but here's the problem. Sometimes when he tries to call us back and answer us, he gets a busy signal. Or we put him on hold. Or there's another call that comes in that's seemingly more important. See, there's a problem with that. In verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. Behold. Behold means look. He says, look, I know what you have done. But look at what I have done. I have opened this door that no one can shut. Now, what's he talking about right there? Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little power, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Going back to verse 7 for just a second. It says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. 
And he tells the church, I'm going to open this door and nobody's going to be able to shut it. What does that really mean? In Isaiah 22, there's a story about the valley of vision. And the king comes along and he selects a servant. <clears throat> it's Eliakim. And Eliakim, he gives the key to the kingdom, if you would, the key to the monarchy, the key to the palace to Eliakim. Now, Eliakim didn't necessarily ask for that responsibility, but now he holds the key that is also known as the key of David. And he says, you know what? Because Eliakim holds that key, he now has the authority, the power of the king behind him to allow entrance into that kingdom or to close entrance into that kingdom. This is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is describing himself as the holder of that key. This key of David is now his. He not only has the key, he not only has the authority over the key, but he is the key. Remember in Scripture where he says, I am the door? He's saying it over and over again. He tells the church, you may have little power, and because you have little power, you may not be able to open the door. You may not even be able to hold the door shut. But you know what? I now have the key, and I'm giving you an open door. You ever thought about church names? This church name, Philadelphia, Brotherly Love, but the church name would have had to have been Little Power Church. Now, I looked up some church names. How would you like to have the church name? How it reads on their signs? How about Little Hope Baptist Church? I wouldn't want that one. How about Little Muddy River Bottom Baptist Church? Wouldn't want that one. Our Little Flock Baptist. I don't, I don't like that one either. But you know what? He says, you may be a church of little power, but we shouldn't ever assume that that means there's a bleak future for the church. Because they have the opportunity to be strong. And he says, you are strong. Listen, in their culture where they were at, they were physically sitting on a ground that was unstable. It was shaking and rocking and rolling. They were in a culture, in a secular society that was looking down on the church. Even the higher echelons of church members in the church were looking down on some of the flock. But you know what? He says, you've remained faithful. So I'm going to remain faithful to you. He's getting ready to say some things here that are very, very important. Compared to the, non, compared to the number of non-Christians in that community versus the number of Christians, they were small. We are small compared to that number. Jesus says, I've done something for you that you could not do. I've opened the door. What does he mean by that? He's opened the door. He's opened a direct access to God to that group of believers and to any other group of believers who will accept him as the Messiah, who loves him, and he's telling them this door can never be closed. He's opening it up. It's only through him, by him, that anyone has access to God. And he's opened that door and he's saying, listen, I'm the real deal. 
I'm here. You need to accept what I had to offer. The door is open. You now have direct access to God. That led me to another insight. Insight number three. Jesus, Jesus can influence or increase, rather, our influence and opportunities wherever and whenever he wants. He can influence our opportunities to whoever and whenever he wants. Now, that's great news to me because I think about this, and you know what? That says something about the sovereignty of God to me. That really lays it out. He can elevate. He can highlight. He can empower. He can utilize. He can bless. He can produce effectiveness in anyone he wants to whenever he wants to. He gives us that strength and that ability to carry on. He's telling this group of Christians particularly, he says, you know what? Regardless of your current circumstances, regardless of the secularization of society, do we have that today? Yes. Regardless of the anti-Christian sentiment, regardless of the odds that you're facing, regardless of the opposition, I am here with you. The door is open. He says it over and over again. Let's personalize this for a minute. He's talking to the church, but let's personalize this for just a second and make it about us. He said, I'm the one who can open the right doors and close the wrong doors. Now think about this for a second. He said, I'm the one that can give you opportunities for absolutely new beginnings. But he said, I'm also the one that can shut the door on those old problems. He said, I'm the one that can take those old chapters out of your life, those old memories, those old hurts and habits and hang-ups, and close the door on those and keep it closed. He's given us a very unique opportunity. He's given this church a very unique opportunity. Regardless if that open door means that it's your first steps to God, or if he's strategically getting you prepared to take on a ministry, that door is open. And he says, no one can close it. God is saying, your future is held secure in my hands. Listen, if Jesus says he has our future in his hands, and I've told you this before, and God says he has our future in his hands, we're doubly protected in both Jesus and God's hands, and there's nothing that can take us out of his hands. We have to start living life like that. We have to start believing that. Remember verse 8, he says, You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus says, Though you think you are powerless and you lack strength, he says, You know what? You have proven yourself very strong because you haven't surrendered to the secular society around you. Do you remember why the city was called Philadelphia? Because the one brother loved the other brother? Because of loyalty? He says, you know what? You have been loyal to me, so now I'm going to show loyalty to you. And we're going to read verse 10 before we read verse 9. <clears throat> he says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming, is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. 
He says, there's, time, there's tribulation coming. There's problems coming for this group. And he's going to identify the group. In verse 9, he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. How's that for a church name? Who claim to be Jewish, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Remember what they were saying? You know, Jesus doesn't love you. God doesn't love you. He only loves us. He says, I'm going to make them fall down at your feet, and they are going to profess that I loved you. Listen, I'd rather be called a little power church in the synagogue of Satan. <clears throat> they claim to be Jews, but they are not. You know, in the message paraphrase, it says they were pretenders. A lot of the young people to say, today would say they're posers. They're posing to be something that they're not. Jesus said, they profess to be legitimate Jews, but they're not legitimate Jews because they don't carry through with what I'm telling them to do. They're quasi-believers, if you would. Why? Because they believed in the Messiah, but they believed in the Messiah had to be tied, and salvation had to be tied to all the Old Testament ceremonial things. The ceremonial laws about food, the ceremonial laws about circumcision, all the ceremonial laws, they had to do those before they could become a Christian. That group was known as Judaizers. Judaizers. There was a problem with them. They said, we're the only ones that are loved by God. You're not. We have it, you don't. And Jesus says, that's not right. You ever think about Paul? I wonder how much ink Paul used up writing on those parchment papers trying to battle these Judaizers as they fought with him about some of these distinct things. Look at what he says in Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith that not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Listen, these Judaizers believed in theology plus. Jesus plus theology. Back then it was Jesus plus food rituals. It was Jesus plus circumcision. It was Jesus plus all these ceremonialism. He struggled with that. <clears throat> he says, Jesus says, I've opened a door that no one can shut. This was very, very backwards to what they were taught and believed. They believed that King David had been the one that had been told that his family and his lineage was the only ones who were going to be loved. So this had to really mess with their mind when Jesus said this. It was a struggle for them. Because he's saying, you know, not only you as Jews, but all the Gentiles that believe that I am the Messiah and come to me and accept salvation through me and by me, 
and believe that I came and lived and died and gave my life on the, Christ, the cross for their sin and am the Christ, they're the ones that are going to be going to heaven, not necessarily you. And they're the ones that I love. Jesus was affirming that those believers, whether they were Jew or Gentile, were going to be going. All those who worshipped him, all those who knew him as Lord and Savior, those were the ones that were realistic. Verse 10 says again, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live in it. Listen, how does hypocrisy and faithfulness best get revealed? Think about it for a second. Isn't it during our times of testing? When do people's truest colors come out? Isn't it when the heat's turned up, when the fire's on? Jesus is saying, you know what? Church, I know your true colors. I know you have been loyal to me. I know you have been faithful to me. Therefore, during this time of tribulation, for these other group of people, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure that you don't have to go through that suffering. Apparently, this church had went through a tremendous amount of suffering previously from all this stuff that they'd been battling. And Jesus says, you know what? That's enough. Because of everything you've endured up to this point, I'm going to protect you now. Now, these other folks, not so much. He's saying the same thing to us. He's saying, you know what? I offer you comfort. I offer you assurance. I offer you the knowledge and the understanding that I'm going to protect you and I'm going to carry you through. It's a time of testing for all those hypocrites and pretenders. You know, when one Christian hears another Christian say, you know what, I was really struggling with these issues, but God held me up, God strengthened me, God carried me through, that's a great encouragement to other people. And we need to make sure that we are willing to tell others about that. We don't have to give them the dirty, ugly, nitty-gritty details, but we can say, you know what, I had a similar problem one time, and God held me up. God encouraged me and took me through. I think it's interesting that these Christians at Philadelphia were simply doing one thing. They were following Jesus, and they were following him faithfully. I think there's three categories that a lot of churches come in today. The very first one is this. The bigger wow is better church. The bigger wow is better church. What do I mean by that? Everything has to have sizzle. Every time you go there, they have to do it bigger. They have to have big names. They have to have big events. They have to have big numbers in order to feel like they're a church. Every time they do something, it's got to be more spectacular. You ever met somebody that always have to, has to be on an adrenaline high? They work really hard to whip the crowd up into a frenzy every time you come in the door. Remember the old joke about the guy who went to a church like that? He walked in, and he sits down, and all you know, everything's, whoa, it's like over the top, and he's like amazed. And he's sitting beside a guy, and all of a sudden he sees somebody bring out a box and drop it on the platform. 
And he's going, well, he asked the guy beside him, what's in that? He said, the snakes. <laughs> Remember that? All of a sudden, some guy reaches in the box and pulls up a big rattlesnake. And he, he looks at the guy beside him again. He says, uh, where's the back door? He said, we don't have one. He said, where do you want one? <laughs> Listen, there's always some Christians that just want that environment of being constantly juiced up. It wears you out and wears you down. And then there's the busier is better church. It also wears you out and wears you down. But as long as there's a meeting to attend and an activity to plan, a hoop to jump through, and the calendar looks like a beehive of work, they're content. They think they're really working for Jesus. And in some ways they might be. But we have to remember something. We should never mistake activity for productivity. You know, sometimes, and I've told you this before, sometimes God needs to work on our hearts and in our lives before we can work with others. Sometimes there has to be internal changes that take place. But we have this simple church at Philadelphia, the simple plan church. Now think about this. These are believers who came to know God through diligent study, they came to understand that Jesus was Christ, the Son of God. They applied everything they had. They looked at their lives and they figured out a way to love one another, to diligently serve one another along with ministering to the outside world, those unbelievers. There's nothing flashy or fancy about these guys. But God said they were faithful. Jesus said they were faithful. I think it's interesting that this church had the ability to stand when many of the other churches that we've looked at already fell. Listen, a church's staying power is demonstrated by two things, and I only gave you one right now. It's demonstrated by her... Strength to stay put, and it's not demonstrated by her seeding power, it's demonstrated by her sending power. Those are the two things that really demonstrate the strength of the church, her staying power and her sending power. Jesus gave a simple formula for this. Look at Matthew 7 with me. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the, that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Very simple plan. Build your life, build your house on the rock of Jesus. Give it a firm foundation. Now listen, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that it's wrong to be an exciting church. I'm not saying that it's wrong to be a big church. I'm not saying that it's wrong to be a, a, a growing church. As long, as long as we're always obedient to God. We need to be an obedient church. 
Church of Philadelphia was, I think we should be too. Insight number four, Jesus calls the church to continued perseverance. Continued perseverance. Look at what he says in 11 through 13. I'm start to wrap this up. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my city, of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, he says the church is on the right track. The church is doing the right thing. And he says, I want you to maintain that simple consistency. He says, hold on and hold fast. The Christians in Philadelphia needed that encouragement to consistently hold on and hold fast. We need that same kind of encouragement. The truth is, in today's society, even back like then, a lot of people, when the going gets tough, the tough get going out the other door. They don't stick around. They bail out. You guys are all old enough. You know, remember Dear Abby? I remember one time reading a thing in Dear Abby where a sailor wrote in. He says, I joined the Navy to see the world. He said, I've seen it. Now, how do I get out? Some people will join a church to see what it's all about, and then they want out when the going gets a little tough. You know what? Jesus didn't promise us no problems, no trials, no tribulations. As a matter of fact, he told us in James, expect them. Be prepared for them. Let me define persistent for a second. Consistent, rather. We want to persevere. We have to have consistency. That's positive dependability. Positive dependability. Now listen to me. A car that won't start is going to be consistent. But it's not going to be very positive or very dependable. I'm talking about positive dependability. I'm also talking about more than just frequency. If you ask a married man, are you faithful to your wife? And he says, well, frequently. <laughs> that's not positive and that's not dependable. Listen, I'm talking about the consistency, the positive dependability that we expect in our heartbeat. That we expect in our breathing rate. Steady, predictable, dependable, consistent. That's what we want. How can we have a faith that's filled with this positive dependability? Well, I think there's a couple of ways. Number one is we need to take notice. We need to take notice. Paul gave a warning to some Christians, and he said, if you think you're standing strong, be careful, because that's exactly when you're going to fall. Consistency begins with careful living. You know, pride says, I'll never fail, I'll never fall. Humility says, I need to really watch my step because I could fall at any time. There's a difference in the mindset. Dr. James Dobson is said to have a picture in his office to remind him of that exact thing. It's said to be a very elegant woman holding a teacup with her pinky out, 
She's very elegantly dressed. But as you're looking at the picture, her slip has fallen down around her ankles. <laughs> the caption reads this. Confidence is what you have before you understand the entire situation. <laughs> we also need to take responsibility. Take responsibility. The Christians in Philadelphia were strong in their faithfulness. But they weren't perfect. There were times when they would probably stumble. There were times when they would struggle. And you know what? Here's the thing. We can't blame our heritage. We can't say, well, it's my mother's fault. It's my father's fault. It's my employer's fault. Listen, there's times in our life when we just have to fess up and say, you know what? I blew it. It's my fault. I need to admit it. And then you need to ask God for forgiveness and his cleansing and move on. Don't wallow in it like a pig. There's no nice way to say that. Swine? I don't know. Listen, there's, there's another part of that I need to say, though. You need to be patient. You need to be patient. On this road to maturity, we all need to be patient. Not only with ourselves, but with one another. Listen, there is no microwave maturity in life. It doesn't work that way. The way we learn maturity is through trials and tribulations and tests. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian Christians, do not grow weary in doing right. Basically, he said, be stateful, stateful, be steady and faithful. That's a new word. Consistent and dependable. Is it possible to get right? Get really tired of doing the right thing? I think so. I think sometimes we get tired of going to church. We get tired of looking at temptation, staring us in the face all the time and saying, no, 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 no. All your friends look at you and think, well, you're just a goody two-shoes. What kind of prude are you? But you know what? We look at them sometimes and we think they're getting all the breaks and having all the fun. But there's going to be an ultimate price to pay someday. The consequence is coming. And we need to remember that. Sometimes we may feel like we're missing out on a lot of stuff. But God's word says in verse 11 something important. Don't give up. Don't give in. He says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast. We need to take responsibility to hang on to that consistency and positive dependability. And then the third thing we need to do, the last thing, is we need to take heart. Take heart. Jesus says in verse 12, I will make him a pillar and temple in the temple of my God. Remember the earthquakes in that region I was telling you about? They would shake and rattle and roll so much. Shake, rattle, and roll. There's Elvis. They would get to rattle and roll so much, the pillars would fall down, the buildings would fall down, the people would run out to the country. He said, you know what? I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God so that you will never have to leave the temple again. And he's basically telling them, you have stability, you have strength, you have prominence, and you have honor because the door I have opened for you. He said, you don't have to worry about running away anymore. Remember that earthquake I was telling you about in 17 AD that decimated the whole area? Well, Caesar Tiberius come along and he says, you know what? 
you know, I, I feel really bad for you folks. I'm going to give you money and tax incentives to help rebuild the city. Well, the faithful leaders of that town and city decided, you know what, we should rename ourselves because he's given us all this money to help us rebuild the city. So they came up with a new name, Neo Caesarea, which means a new city of Caesar. You know the problem? That name didn't last very long because it was a tired and temporary name. It went back to the city of Philadelphia. Jesus says something very interesting at the end of this. He said, my God's name will be on you. Think about that for just a second. When he says, my God's name will be on you, that is a sign of permanency. It's like a child having a parent's name. And that, that parent looks out there. Can you imagine Jesus coming one day? And he's looking out there and he says, ooh, that one's mine. And that one's mine. And that one's mine. And that one's mine. When we get to go home and be with Jesus. And he says, that one's mine. And this one's mine. That's permanency. When those earthquakes would shake and those pillars might fall, he says, you don't have to run away anymore because I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you the honor, the stability, and the strength that you need. All these things tie together when he says, take heart. Remember, he's going to give us a white stone with our name on it that only you and he know. We have to remember, we are a child of God. So child of God, take heart this morning and remember whose you are. That you have permanency built into your life. Those Christians in Philadelphia may not have had much strength, but you know what? They may have been without much power. They stood on unstable ground, but they withstood massive attacks from the Turks. Waves and waves of Muslim attacks all the way up into the 14th century. And yet, if you read history, this church at Philadelphia stood after all those other churches we've looked at thus far have already fallen. He says, you are loyal to me. I'm going to be loyal to you. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray and hope that no matter what happens within this body of believers, with this body of believers, with this church, that 10, 20, 100 years from now, we will be able to stand like that church at Philadelphia. They held fast. They were secure in your hands. And we pray that this church body, this church will continue on and be just as firm in your hand a hundred years from now as it is today, if not stronger. Now, Father, we love you and praise you. We ask that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord and, and, and would like to know more about that, or maybe they've made a decision that they need you as Savior and Lord, and they're ready right now to make that decision. I pray that you'd give them the courage to step out of that seat and out into that aisle and come forward and tell us that. And let us share in the joy of that new commitment they've made in their life. If there's any of those that have come and 
Uh, they've made that decision. They've professed that. They've made it publicly known, but they've never been baptized the way you were baptized, Lord. We ask that they would step out so that, and share that with us this morning so that we can make arrangements to get that done. And Father, if there's anyone here that's been a guest, maybe they've been a regular attender for quite a few years or, or even a short time, but they've never made the decision to become part of this church family. I pray, Lord, that you give them the courage to do that this morning. Father, whatever your will is in our lives, whatever it might be, I just pray that you would strengthen those that need to make the decisions today to do those and make those decisions that would bring honor and glory to you and comfort and assurance to them. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would, stand please. Yeah. 
All right, here in just a second, we're going to have you come up and meet and greet Tara Randall. Um, we have a couple, it's a busy time of year, okay? So bear with us for just a second. We've got a couple of quick announcements and we'll get into this, all right? Um, but, I, but Tara is coming from a church in Gila Bend. She desires membership and it is family. She's been coming for quite a while uh, and a very faithful, great attender. But now she wants to be a member of this family. She's coming from a church out of Gila Bend. Okay. So when we close out this, this part of the session, you come up and just meet and greet her for a moment. And here in just a second, Danny would like to give a testimony to the church. We're going to take about a five-minute break. And then we're going to come back and discuss the um, things that we handed out to you last week. If you weren't here, we should have some extra copies. We'll get those out to you. It's a profit and loss statement for the first nine months of this year. It is the budget for next year. And it is the recommendations from the leadership enlistment team for officers and ministry leaders in the church. Okay, we're going to discuss those just briefly for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then next week, if we need to, we'll discuss and vote again. All right? So we want to try to keep it short so we can still do Bible study. So we're going to have sort of an impromptu business meeting, if you want to call it that, discussion time in the midst between church and Bible study. But we're going to try to limit it to about 15, 20 minutes. So if you want to be a part of that, please stay in here or please come back in here. We're going to take about a five-minute break once the praise and worship team is done and once Danny has finished giving his testimony, okay? So, Danny, why don't you come on up, and let's hear your testimony. And if you guys would sing your song, and Tara, come on up when they start singing their song, and we'll be ready to go. <laughs> this is like orchestra. <laughs> nobody of any consequence. I'm a church member. I've been here a long time. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of great things. I've seen a lot of bad things all happen in this same place. And what I want you to think about, what I want you to realize, what I want you to contemplate is that you are the church. You are the church. And the, the best growth this church ever saw was when the church decided how the church th should operate. The church took responsibility for the things that needed to take place in all areas of the church, in the teaching, in the administration, in the building and grounds, in the growth, in the the way that the offerings were utilized. All of these things are very important. And you each have a, you have, you have skin in the game. This is yours. It belongs to Jesus Christ, but you are the stewards. Every one of you. Now, we've had periods of time that we had tremendous amount of overpowering love and unity and growth and understanding, so much so that this church influenced other churches in the, in the association, even though we were much smaller than they. 
but it was because of each person realizing that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you and he gives you the opportunity and the obligation and the responsibility to have your eyes open. You need to see and understand what's going on, not only here, but outside. And the Holy Spirit of God can give you that information. And he can give you that insight to where you know and you can see the truth. And the truth is one of the most important things regardless of anything else. Now I've seen times in this church when people were asked not to serve. That we no longer needed their service because they were telling the truth. That's not supposed to happen in a church. Anytime the truth is being spoken, it needs to be understood and it needs to be appreciated. Always. And we've had experiences where <clears throat> there were organizations that came in here and took advantage of the church members and cost them great deals of their personal life savings, stole it from them because people wouldn't listen and wouldn't realize that they have a responsibility to pay attention to who it is that's trying to talk to them. And that happened twice. And there's no excuse for that kind of thing. No excuse. We're supposed to be a loving church. We're supposed to watch out for each other. If somebody's trying to take advantage of you, Jack, it's my responsibility to say, hey, man, look at what's happening here. I have a responsibility to that man and to you and to you and to you to not allow things to happen to you that isn't within the will of God. All of us have that responsibility. So I'm asking you to please, please open your eyes to what the Holy Spirit tells you. Pay attention to, to how you see the things from the outside that are influence, influencing the way that the church does things. They're no friend to us. The city government, they're no friend to us. The county government, they're no friend to us. They want to see us go away. That's what they want. And like, like Jay, like Lynn said, we're supposed to stay. We're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be the ones influencing what's going on out there. Not that out there influencing what goes on in here. That's our responsibility. And service to our Lord and Savior, it's our responsibility. And if we fail that, who are we failing? We're failing him, first of all. But we're failing our children. We're failing our grandchildren. We're failing our fellow church members. I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that. So please, please, just 
be on your knees and realize how much we can lose. Realize how much it is necessary for each one of us to, to say and to do what's honest and true and to be in, in service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think I've rambled far enough. Thank you very much. Thanks, brother. Romans 12 says, Just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body's parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. Prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if it's service in the act of serving, or the one who teaches in the art of the act of teaching, or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, and the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. All of us uh, look to Christ as the head of the body, and uh, this is a perfect song to, to follow it up. We will glorify the King of Kings. That needs to be the prayer of our church as we go forth. And, you know, it's not just not the, the Pastor Lynn show, it's not the Deacon show, it's not, you know, just the mythical church shop doing stuff, you know, church leadership. It's all of us who are the church, who are the body of the church. Uh, let's, uh, we're, we're going to go away over time, I can tell, but let's go ahead and close with this song. Please stand if you're able. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness. We will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to Him we give. Hallelujah to the King of kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lord of lords, who is the great I Am. Amen.